As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. These are weird times we live in, sweetie. Mm. Uh, We're getting ready, of course, to move, relocate the show to Orlando and ourselves. Yes, we will be there also. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're, we're we're liquidating all stock. Everything must go at unheard of prices. Discounts all over. Yeah, we've had a couple of yard sales. We've got a dumpster in the front yard. Yep. And we're taking things to uh, various donation sites. And it was on the weekend, and the big donation sites weren't open. There was this one little neighborhood furniture donation place that, mm-hmm. you know, you can go privately run. I don't know what it benefits. Uh, we don't care as long as this is not our problem anymore. Yeah. We had lent a sofa to some family members and they brought it back thinking we wanted to take it to Orlando with us, which we did not. No. Nope. Especially when we got it back and it was covered with like spaghetti sauce. I mean, it wasn't covered. There were a few spots on it. It, it may not have been spaghetti sauce. It may have been... A blood product of some sort. It was I, I do- not a blood product. Anyway, it was a little bit stained. So I take it to this donation site. And I'd been in there a couple of times before. Not the highest quality place. All right. He takes a look at the sofa and he goes, now nah, we, we can't take that here. I'm like, what? <laughs> Your store smells like urine. <laughs> you can't take this sofa because it's got some spaghetti sauce on it. Okay. All right. Well, we wouldn't want to... Uh, Offend your clientele, who obviously don't have any olfactory systems that are working. I mean, I I get it. I think it's important that we have nice things for people. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And I I mean, I I get it. Sure. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't that bad. No. And I I mean, I was using it. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. I think it was hot, and he just didn't want to unload it. Oh, all right. Well, I mean, maybe that was it. Maybe. Maybe he's afraid that some people are allergic to tomato sauce or or blood product that could have been it It he thought it was a murder couch (laughs) a murder couch (laughs) that's the next season of american horror story (laughs) (laughs) 
I found this story today and it blew my mind. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing this one with you. Okay. In 1968, there were a group of men. They were, they were digging ditches in Finland. We just got an email from Finland, by the way. That was fun. It's the country where I quite like to be. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, one of the uh, workmen's shovels struck something hard. And so they started digging around it, and, and work came to a stop because it was obviously some sort of metallic object, and it, it piqued everybody's interest. It turned out to be an old Viking sword. Ooh. I want to find an old Viking sword. Me too. Um, but there was so much more. Work, of course, came to a halt. They I'm called sorry. in. You just lapsed right back into, you know, everything must go. <laughs> so much more. <laughs> That's right. 50% off. Out it goes at unheard of prices. Plenty of free parking. Ask our friendly, knowledgeable staff. Okay, you were saying Viking sword. Yeah. So the, uh, the work comes to a halt because, you know, you got to call in the archaeologists when you find stuff like this. So they show up and they began their meticulous work of uncovering what turned out to be the most unusual Viking grave that they had found. Ooh. Again, this was 1968. Inside the grave, what they discovered was a skeleton still dressed in women's clothing next to two swords. In addition, they found... In the grave, extreme, an extremely soft feather blanket, valuable furs, jewelry, and other priceless objects. Ooh. Now, this was confusing to the archaeologists because on one hand, you've got this woman. She's buried in rare and priceless objects, a beautiful uh, gown. But she was also buried with two swords. And normally burying somebody with swords, that was reserved for male warriors. Mm. Vikings that were men that were fighting Vikings, Viking fighters. My brain wants to combine those words and I can't find a good way to do it. Vikers? Viking? Fighting? Fikers? Fikers. So what they assumed was this was probably a double grave that maybe a couple had been buried together and then the guy had been uh, misplaced or dug up or moved or lost or something. <laughs> That's the such a weird assumption. Like, well, there must have been a guy in here. Yeah, well, there's swords. Sorry. It's like the old riddle, like uh, a man and his son come into the emergency room and the only surgeon there is uh, the parent of the son. How is that possible? And it's like... Well, I don't know. And then it's like, well, the surgeon was his mother. Bum, bum, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it really that <laughs> outlandish to your brain? Well, this was confusing for them. They had never found a female buried with Viking warrior swords before. Man, I butchered that riddle. I wouldn't have got it. It's fine. I wouldn't have. It's no, I'm not a riddle guy. No, you are not. <laughs> so for decades, they were, they were very confused about this. They were confounded, if you will. Could it have been a little-known female Viking warrior, this Finnish woman? A Finnish woman who uh, fought alongside men in the late Iron Age. This would be groundbreaking. Mm. It was determined that the person who owned that skeleton at one point, uh, who covered it with flesh and tootled about... Uh, probably died between the year 1050 and 1300, so 1,000 years ago or so. Now, clearly this individual that was buried was highly respected, a highly, probably a leader in the community because the skeleton had been laid to rest 
in the finest female garments, jewelry, furs, and val- uh, valuables. It was there was no question this was a person of importance, a person who was well respected. Uh, for decades, they could only assume what this person's history was and why this unusual Viking grave was left the way that it was. Was she a trans Viking? <laughs> Nobody knew until now. Researchers recently were able to extract and test DNA from the skeleton. The researchers used a combination of soil sampling from micro, uh, micro remains and ancient DNA analysis. And the DNA testing turned up an extremely unexpected, surprising result. The Finnish skeleton turned out to be a man, but there was an extra X chromosome. Individuals with XXY chromosomes have a condition that today is known as Kleinfelter syndrome, also known as intersexual. People with Kleinfelter syndrome are anatomically male, and though the symptoms may vary with Kleinfelter syndrome, often they have breasts, diminished muscle mass, reduced body and facial hair. Um, They're also often infertile, and it affects about roughly one man in 660, something like that. Okay. According to Wikipedia, intersex people are individuals born with any of several sex characteristics, including chromosome patterns, gonads, or genitals that, according to the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner of Human Rights, quote, do not fit typical binary notions of male or female bodies. The range of atypical sex characteristics um, may be obvious from birth through the presence of physically ambiguous genitalia. In other instances, atypical characteristics may go unnoticed, uh, presenting an ambiguous internal reproductive organ or atypical chromosomes that may remain unknown to the individual all of their life. In other words, what they discovered was a Viking warrior from 1050 to 1300 buried with both male and female objects, highly regarded member of society with a non-binary gender identity. If I, if I remember correctly, oftentimes Kleinfelter's comes with like poor coordination though. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misremembering. So it would be amazing to be like an incredible warrior mm. person. Right. Um, and also be born with less than awesome motor skills. If the characteristics of the Kleinfelter syndrome have been evident on that person, they might not have been considered strictly male or female in the early Middle Ages community that that this person um, lived in. Mm -hmm. In addition, the discovery of this Viking warrior's extra chromosome has shed light on how intersex people may have lived during the Iron Age. That's incredible. They've determined that it's pretty obvious that this individual in particular enjoyed high status in the community, an elevated reputation. They were a leader. They were well thought of and highly regarded. They were buried with tokens of affection, value, and respect. Again, the abundant collection of objects buried in the grave is proof that this person was not only accepted, but valued and respected. And because one of the two swords that were found seems to have been placed in the grave later, Mm -hmm. maybe during a second ceremony, a while after this person had passed away, that indicates that the community respected their memory 
and saw them as an important figure and one that needed to be passed on from generations to generations, the, the knowledge and the, uh, and the history of this person. In other words, by going back later and adding another sword to the burial scene, it indicates that this person was not only of high status, but super high status. Right. Now, many archaeologists are cautioning against using modern terminology to describe sure. Viking warriors, uh, particularly this one. In their report, they said that, uh, quote, biology does not directly dictate a person's self-identity. But that being said, this particular discovery in DNA and DNA evidence does raise some really interesting questions regarding the lives of intersex people uh, from a thousand years ago. Um, it also points out how contemporary archaeologists often use modern day understandings of gender and sex when evaluating discoveries like this one, mm. because they were way off base. Yeah, I think too often we do that with a lot of sciences. You know, we explore things from our and understandably, yeah. but from our understanding, our point of view, our history, our worldview mm -hmm. and it's it's easy to do that it's, it's our frame of reference right it's like so often when we talk about uh alien life forms right. and we say well so and so you know we couldn't have alien life forms living here because carbon-based life forms can't exist here and it's like well who says that other life forms are carbon-based, you know. Right. Just Carl Sagan said, speculated that there might be um, sil silicon-based <laughs> right. uh, life forms. I always get those two confused. And yeah, I mean, we do the best that we can, giving, given our experience and in, in, in frame of reference. Right. Kind of like in, in the Bible, Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. You know, maybe that was a UFO. How would somebody from thousands of years ago rationalize and explain mm. something like that. Right. Or could they even perceive it? Or could they even perceive it? What the bleep, right? Or are you talking about Cortez's ships? I, yes. You know what I'm saying. Nice. Researchers noted in their study, quote, the binary division of sexes is arguably rooted in a modern Western mindset and gendered norms and expectations have varied culturally, geographically, and temporally. Ah. Yeah. So... All of those things. Mm -hmm. I just love the idea that they, that they found this person and uh, they were buried in their finest garments that indicated that this person was uh, a female. Uh, and they make these broad judgments as to what this person's status was. There's probably a guy in there. <laughs> and if there were swords in there, clearly that person couldn't be using right. them. And then DNA says, eh, you're wrong. It's completely what you didn't expect. Anyway, go intersex Viking warriors. I love them. And now, that thing in the middle. In 2014, 22-year-old Rory Curtis was in a serious car accident. He was put in a medically induced coma for six days. When he woke up from his coma, he was speaking fluent French weird thing is, he didn't know how to speak French. However, his distant ancestors did come from France. But perhaps the strangest thing was yet to come. His ability to speak French slowly dissipated. But then, Rory became convinced he was in fact the actor Matthew McConaughey. Say so you need a ride? Uh, no, I got my own car. Thanks. 
Fortunately, Rory has completely recovered from his injuries. The one podcast that everyone in the family can agree on during a long summer trip in the car. Except Aunt Jean. You know what? Fuck Aunt Jean. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. 
the Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Sarah sent an email, Kat and Jethro, I'm a hospice nurse, and I work from home answering phone calls from hospice patients, sort of like a hospice 911. It's a good thing I work alone because I have Jethro's What You Got For Me jingle on my ringtone, and every time a call comes in, I giggle to myself. Thanks for helping me keep things light and making me smile when doing a very difficult job. Signed, Sarah. And, oh, and then she said, um, P.S., I went to Husson College in Bangor. Oh, hey. I wish your podcast was around back then because I would have loved to have known I wasn't the only freak in Bangor. <laughs> oh, far from it. Far from it, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks for writing. And can I just say so many thanks to you for doing what you do because hospice mm. work is so hard and those people go through so much. It's so emotionally draining. Yeah, I heard uh, a uh, an interview with hospice nurses and uh, they said, they, they all of them agreed that the most important thing to do was to make sure that they took time for themselves mm. and kind of uh, filled their cup. As my therapist says. Yeah. <laughs> what you got for me, girl? Well, it's interesting because we're going to talk about hospice nurses. <clears throat> we got him into the embalming room and we noticed... His legs beginning to move, like kicking. He also began to do a little breathing. I'm assuming this was a dead guy. Yeah. Or they thought he was a dead guy. So okay. It's early 2014. And 78-year-old Walter Williams has congestive heart failure. He's in hospice care. Oh, interesting. Or end-of-life care. Walter is a lifelong farmer. His nickname is Snowball or Snow uh, because he was born during a Mississippi blizzard. Oh, wow. He and his wife, Sonora, have 11 kids, 15 grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren. Of course, with his being in hospice care, his family members have done their best to prepare themselves for the inevitable, and then it happens. Mm. Walter's hospice nurse reaches out to Porter and Son's funeral home to let them know that the man has passed. He had a few family members with him at the time who shared the news with the rest of the family. And though the family had tried to steal themselves, Walter's wife, Sonora, said, I can't let him go. As Walter and Byron Porter from Porter and Son's funeral home in Lexington drove to the home to collect the body for funeral preparations. And it turns out she didn't have to right away. Howard and Byron Porter arrived at the home and checked William's pulse around 9 p.m. and pronounced him dead. They brought him back to their facility. About four hours later, Walter's daughter, Gracie Williams, got a call. He said, 
Gracie, don't get upset. <laughs> We're fixing to take your daddy to the hospital. Wow. What year did you say this was? Or did 2014. You? 2014. So this is fairly recent. This is long after they put like bells on gravestones. That's right. Yeah. What movie did we just watch with the bells? Oh, The Nun. The Nun. Yeah. yeah that was enjoyable. Was. A little campy, but fun. In an interview, Gracie said, I said, what? <laughs> and he told me he's back at moving. He's back at moving. <laughs> Which I think is the best way to inform someone that they are alive. That's that's a very Monty Python-esque kind of yep. uh, like it, it was bitten sort of off. <laughs> Mary Williams said she didn't believe it at first. Howard Porter had checked Walter in. He filed his paperwork. They were ready to make the removal. They got Walter to the funeral home and into the embalming room. And then... Something strange happened. The body bag moved. Now, I'm guessing that that's not that unusual because you have, you know, muscle spasms and you hear stories about that sort of thing happening in a, in a morgue body sitting up. You right. Know. Yeah. And rigor mortis yeah. does a lot of weird things right. to bodies for sure. And that's exactly what, what Howard first thought. He thought the twitching was caused by his pacemaker. He said it's not unusual for there to be some post-mortem movement in patients with pacemakers especially. Uh, first, the porters noticed the kicking. Yeah, okay, maybe it was muscle spasms or whatever. Um, and then they said he began to breathe. So they called an ambulance. Wow. I bet they don't get a lot of calls for ambulances from the morgue. No. That's when the family was notified again. And Holmes County Sheriff Willie March was called. And he said, I asked the coroner what was happening. And the only thing he could say was, it's a miracle. Walter was responsive. He recognized everyone who went to visit him, but he really doesn't have any recollection of what happened. He said he just woke up in the hospital. He told his kids, I must have been sleeping through all of this. <laughs> his daughter, Sarah, said, Daddy, you were dead. <laughs> or we thought you were. <laughs> well, he was. And the family insists that he was in response to others who have suggested that he may have just been sleeping. And, and some said that Williams could have been suffering from severe hypoglycemia mm -hmm. combined with certain medications during hospice care, which would have made it very difficult to find a pulse. The family scoffs. One of his one of Walter's daughters was there when he passed. She is a nurse, and she checked his pulse. Oh. Another family member was there. He's a combat veteran and well acquainted with death, believes that they saw Walter's last breath. In addition, the hospice nurse mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the porters who came to pick him up from the morgue. So about how long a period of time was he considered dead? How, how much time had passed between when they said, oh, he's dead, and he started kicking in the body bag? Well, I'm not sure how long it took the porters to get to the home after they'd been called. Mm. But the porters marked his time of death around 9 p.m. Okay. And it was around 1.30 when the ambulance was called. Wow. He couldn't have been dead that entire time, could he? It, it Maybe not. The porters believe that William's defibrillator, which oh. is planted beneath the skin on his chest, jump-started his heart after he was placed in the body bag. That makes sense. And since body bags aren't 
um, airproof. What's that word? Hermetically What's... sealed. Sure. Yeah. I was Not just like a Ziploc body bag. Right. It's. <laughs> he was still able to, you know, breathe and stuff. He just didn't have an opportunity to alert people to his not deadness um, before they noticed his kicking. I am really glad he was able to notify them before they started, you know, doing the embalming. Yes, I am also very glad of that. Um, the family, though, says that Walter was a man of faith and that his being returned to them was the hand of God. Either way, the family got two more weeks with Walter before he died of natural causes. Now, he died the second time. I'm wondering if they all stayed up waiting for him to come back. Right, just kind of long side-eyed him. Walter, are you fucking with us again? (laughs) You're Um, running up our mortuary bill. Porter said that he had known Walter Williams for years before this incident. He said, Snow is a fighter, and I know he's a hardworking man, so it didn't surprise him at all Mm. that he'd, you know, get some extra time in. And the sheriff, March, who knew Walter again before the incident, said he's a very nice guy, always laughing, always joking and carrying on. He's just a really good person. And personally... I think that's the kind of guy that should get an extra two weeks. That's pretty great. Do you think you could work in a, in a morgue, in a mortuary? I think I would be okay. You think you'd be okay with yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would or not I be, think because I would, of things like this. <laughs> I think I would be better at working uh, with people after they died than just before they died. That's why I said hospice workers are just... Mm-hmm. amazing people because it would be so hard for me not to take on all of those big feelings oh yeah and bring them home you're an empath yeah 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 or you know child of trauma whatever <laughs> <laughs> either way it's not a good combination it's a dangerous one for a morgue worker for real <laughs> there was a friend of our of our family that at one point did work in um in a funeral home mm. and it wasn't for him. He only did it for a couple of summers, like, like it was his summer job. Right. And, uh, there was one night that he took the limousine and he was going to go to a, uh, this did not happen. Your friend did not take a hearse to a party yeah, he with did. a corpse in it. No, no, no. I... He, it was two corpses Oh, geez. because he had to pick a corpse up. I don't believe you. And uh, he was on his way to the party and he said, well, I'll just put him in the back, you know, and then he gets another call and he had to go to the other side of the county and pick up another body. And he already had one in the back. So he takes this other guy and he sits him in the front seat and puts a hat on him, sticks a cigarette in his mouth, kind of, you know, some real fucked up weekend at Bernie shit. And while he was at the party, uh, rigor mortis set in and he he couldn't get the guy out of the seat and he had to drive through like three toll booths with this guy. Uh, dead guy as his co-pilot. Mm-hmm. I guess he could have taken the carpool lane. I think that was pre-carpool, but yeah, this was in Jacksonville, You know Florida. I don't believe this story. I know you don't believe that story. It doesn't matter. It's still a good story. <laughs> and I don't know if it's true, but I know that he presented it as such. <laughs> and perhaps I embellish it as time goes on. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a good story. Dead guy in the front seat with a cigarette. At a toll booth. Hold on. Let me see. Where is this? So you said that he had to pick up two bodies that night. Yeah. One uh, earlier in the evening and then one across the county. Yeah. Okay. Right. So 
as we know, the county uh, refers to Maine's largest county, the most northern county. This was county. in Florida. This was in Jacksonville. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this, I'm sorry, when did this happen? This would have been sometime in the 70s. In the 70s. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Thought you had me, didn't you? Well, I mean, I don't think that that any the size of counties is any relation to how believable that story is. <laughs> I still think it's bullshit. <laughs> but I love you, and you tell it beautifully. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're just such a killjoy. You don't want to believe anything. <laughs> Except for Mothman. You know what? I don't think that you're funny. You are scared of Mothman. <laughs> you're like this super skeptic. You don't believe in UFOs. You don't believe in Bigfoot. But you will not watch Mothman prophecies Whoa. with me. Listen, I don't need to invite that shit into my life. Okay. <laughs> what if he knows uh-huh. that I watched it? Sure. Then, okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of how I feel about Robert the Doll. Oops, I mentioned his name again. Damn it. <laughs> We're going to have to go visit him once we get down there. Yeah, yes, down in Florida. I'm He's in so Key West, excited. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll make the uh, the trip down. We'll get some pie. We'll go visit <laughs> Robert the Doll. We'll see Hemingway's place, <sighs> pat the kitties. It'll be great. I have started an incredible list of things that we have to do once we get down there. And if you can help, by the way, in any way with this list, if you have suggestions for Floridian oddities to explore, mm-hmm. please let us know. We've had a lot of people reach out once after we made the announcement that we are moving to Orlando. We had a lot of people reach out from the Orlando greater metropolitan area and Florida in general saying we need to do a, um, a freak meetup when you guys get down there. So maybe we'll look at doing that. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, no, I'm here. Hear me out on this. OK, cat shaking her head. Hear me out on this. <clears throat> they can help us move our furniture. <laughs> Moving party at Cat and Jethro's. <laughs> My favorite message was the one that said, suck it, Maine. Now we get <laughs> Yep. My uh. friend Stephanie was super upset that uh, we were moving. She was like, I can't believe you're moving. <laughs> and then she was like, wait, what do I care? I live in Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one thing's for sure, it's a lot cheaper to fly to New York for our live show out of Orlando. Oh, check out that segue. How was that? Was that good? <laughs> Tickets on sale for our first New York live show, October 29th at theboxofoddities.com. And since it's officially, as of August 1st, Halloween quarter, um, we want your Halloween stories. Yes, Our annual Halloween episode is going to be coming up, and we want your stories. We want you to tell us about your experiences, your spookies, your creepies, your... um, Unexplainies. Yes, those too. Just record them on your your smartphone and email them to us, curator at theboxofoddities.com. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved Temper 
temporal 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 temporally 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 what temper temper temporal temper temporally yeah that's it temporally it's hard word to say what's that word mean something to do with time mhm temporally temporally oh temporally temporally yeah have varied culturally geographically and temporally if you like this podcast can we recommend another one it's called big picture science you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts and its name tells part of the story the big picture questions and the most interesting research in science Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.